Welcome in to another edition of the Odds and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem. Eric Scopel is with me as always. Uh, Eric, it's a Monday morning when we're recording this. Ducks are four and one on the season. They have a two game lead in the Pac-12 North over every team except Oregon State. I, I think that's, this is a, a really weird start to Pac-12 play. Um, because, and, and we're going to get to Cal, we're going to get to some injury news, we're going to get to, uh, looking ahead to, to Colorado this Friday, but let's just real quick just pull away from Oregon, simply dialed in on Oregon to the T and, and just look at the standings of the North, you know, two weeks into November or October and you're, you're thinking, okay, like it, it's probably going to be Oregon, it's probably going to be Washington, Washington State's probably going to be right there with them, Stanford maybe, and, you know, there's going to be maybe one or two losses between those four or three schools. And you look at the Pac-12 standings and Oregon's four and one. Stanford is at second at three and three, two and two in conference play. Oregon State is, uh, in third at two and three overall, one and one in conference play. And then you've got California at four and two, one and two in conference play. But then Washington and Washington State both have two losses in conference play. Uh, Washington State has yet to win in conference play. Uh, and this is just a, a weird dynamic for the conference. But from an Oregon perspective, this might be as best case scenario of a start you could get for Oregon going into conference, you know, the first two weeks of conference play. Yeah, I don't think you could have scripted it a whole lot better, honestly. I mean, I mean the fact that to this point, Oregon and Washington have played Cal and Stanford in the division, and they played at the exact, you know, Oregon played Cal at home, Washington played Cal at home, Stanford and was on road games for both, and Oregon won both those games fairly dominantly, and, and Washington lost both those games. Uh, Oregon is in a very, very good shape uh, with Washington, which everybody, you know, you look at the Pac-12 preseason poll, it was really Oregon and Washington right at the top of that for the division. It was really considered a two-horse race with yep. maybe Cal, Washington State, and Stanford kind of pushing and battling. Um Oregon is in a great shape right now because Washington is, is in, a, in a lot of hurt. And the way the schedule plays out, Oregon plays Colorado this week. They win that game. If they can go to Seattle the week after and win that game, like you don't want to say that Pac-12 is on wraps when you're 4-0 and you still have the majority of your conference games left. But honestly, like it, it would they'd be in such an incredibly good spot at 4-0 with the way the rest of the conference has looked. Like You'd be eliminating Washington, basically. You've basically already eliminated um Cal and Stanford, barring, again, I guess it's possible Oregon just completely implodes and loses a ton of games, but if they're 4-0, like, they, they almost have the, the, the league on, on ice at that point, you know, and, and it's weird that Oregon State is the only one other one-loss team, but you look at who they've played right now, they haven't really played any of the, the favorites so far. Their, their win came over a UCLA team, which is very, very bad, uh, and that's a belittle what Oregon State's doing, but I just don't see them as being a legitimate contender or really right. much of much competition. So, like, you look at it, it's like, who's Oregon's biggest competition right now? It's Washington. If they beat Washington in Seattle, you look up and you go, gosh, they're going to have a really hard time not winning the Pac-12 North. And, and at that point, you could look at the schedule. There's not a team on there with the way that, that with how inconsistent these teams are. And we should mention Oregon's been a little up and down, too. Yes, but, yes. But, but, but uh, there's not a team on that schedule that, that jumps out and I go, man, I, that's going to be almost impossible to win. I, I mean, I look at the schedule and, and go, Oregon's probably going to be favored or, or at least have a pretty close in almost every one of these games the rest of the season, right? 
Yeah, the reality is that Oregon has a two-game lead over over Stanford, and they have the tiebreaker. So essentially, Oregon has to lose three times, and Stanford has to win out for them to 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 catch the Ducks. Uh, yep. They have a two-game lead and the tiebreaker over California. So it's the same deal with the Golden Bears: is that Oregon has to lose three games, Colorado, er, California has to win out. And then you look at the schedule for week seven. I mean, this is setting itself up where we could lose a ton of the luster and, and the excitement of Oregon Washington because look, the way they, the way the Huskies played at Stanford last weekend and the way that Arizona is, is getting healthy and they're starting to, you know, figure things out under Kevin Sumlin. I don't think, you know, the Wildcats are going to be a favorite or, or, you know, big favorites at all, but, the way these two teams are, are going, it wouldn't surprise me if Arizona wins at home in an 8 p.m. game against the Washington Huskies, uh, week seven. So you've got Washington State. They've got to go to Arizona State. So Oregon hasn't played the Huskies. They haven't played the Cougars. They're two games back. Both of those teams are two games back from Oregon in the Pac-12 standing. So Friday night, if Oregon can take care of business against Colorado and get their third conference win, Going into week eight in a game up in Seattle, they might find themselves on Saturday. If you're a Duck fan, you're rooting for Arizona State to, to beat Washington State at home and you're rooting for Arizona to beat Washington at home. Uh, if, if those two outcomes happen or if one of those two outcomes happen, things get very, very good for Oregon in terms of competing for the Pac-12 North Championship. Uh, and winning your division and getting into the conference championship game, uh, in, in Santa Clara. And everyone's going to ask, Hey, well, what about the playoff? This hurts Oregon's chances for the playoff because you want, you know, the Huskies to be good. You need Washington State to be good. You, you need, you know, USC to be good. You know, these, you need these teams to keep winning. Um, the reality is this. The playoff is a very faint possibility. It, it's not likely. And your goal, regardless, should always start small. Win your division. Your next goal after that is win the conference championship game. After that, it's win either the Rose Bowl or the college football playoff. You do the first two things, you're guaranteed to be in the Rose Bowl at minimum. And at worst, or in, in best case scenario, you're you're in the college football playoff. And so win your division, and that's why this weekend sets up as a huge opportunity for Oregon to set things up and Set the, you know, really set the table for a division title to get into the conference championship. So huge, huge outcomes from an Oregon perspective this past weekend, huge outcomes from, uh, across the conference and how it impacts things. And we're going to have another week now where, uh, there could be some really big games that impact Oregon outside of, uh, Oregon's own football game against Colorado. So let, let's dive into what happened last week against California. We're not going to go too much of analysis of, you know, what play didn't work in, on this series against Cal, but there's some injuries that we need to, to go into. CJ Verdell, Oregon's running back, uh, starting running back suffered an injury in the first quarter. Right ankle sprain is what Mario Cristobal said after the game. X-rays came out negative, uh, Saturday night, which is good news for Oregon. Bruce Feldman of The Athletic, who also works for Fox and was, uh, in Eugene for this weekend's game against California. He's t- tweeted out as of Monday morning that uh, the injury is just a sprain and according to his sources to him and that 
uh, it's looking like he might be available to play against Colorado. Um, I, I think that's probably best case scenario be, from this. And we'll, we'll get official confirmation later today. So when you listen to this, we might have that from Mario Cristobal when he speaks. But right. um, the C.J. Verdell injury, I think, really showed in my mind to California when, when we saw Oregon play California without Verdell the importance of the sophomore running back. And look, we've talked a lot about how he's missed holes or how, you know, the run game hasn't been going and he's been, you know, the main guy at the running back position. But looking at what Oregon did in the first quarter with, with him, basically getting a bulk of the carries. They ran for 98 yards. They averaged 5.4 yards per carry. The Ducks had 126 yards of total offense in the first quarter. And then you look at the rest of the game when he went out. They had 89 yards of total offense in the, in the second quarter. They ran for just 1.8 yards uh, per play uh, against Cal- California in the second. In the third quarter, 119 yards. They averaged just 3.5 yards per carry on the ground. And in the fourth quarter, they had 70 yards of total offense. They, you know, they averaged 6.6 yards per carry. But I think a huge chunk of that came on a Justin Herbert scramble for what 26, 27 yards. Yeah, uh, so, you know, a, a good chunk of that, of that entire quarter came on one play on a scramble from Herbert. So I, I think Saturday really showed us while he has his faults and he has his issues that he needs to figure out the importance of Verdell in this run game and, and how successful they can and cannot be without him. I think a couple of things stand out with, with the running backs, Travis Dye ran the football very effectively when he didn't fumble, right? And, and the two yes. fumbles, unfortunately, were really significant plays. I think if, if you take one or two of those away, Oregon probably scores another touchdown or, or maybe another 10 points if they get, you know, if he doesn't make both mistakes. So, uh, you have to have better ball security. And, and I think that, that to me was the most glaring thing from the Verdell injury was the fact that we hadn't really – when was the last time CJ's fumbled? Obviously, he had a huge fumble last year right. against Stanford that everybody remembers, right? But yes. he's been fairly reliable carrying the football, and we saw Travis Dye put the ball on the ground twice in like three or four plays against California, and those are pivotal plays. You know, Those are games that I think really shaped the outcome of that game. But when he wasn't fumbling, he did run the ball pretty effectively. He averaged 5.4 yards per carry. Um, he, he was maybe a little bit more explosive coming off – tackle, which I'd like to see a little bit more of from him. I don't know if he's a guy you want running between the tackles. So I think if Verdell does miss time, you're probably going to see Dye's probably going to carry the ball the most, but I think you're going to see a lot of Cyrus and Bibi between the tackles. And that's what we saw. And he only averaged 4.1 yards per carry. He did have the game's uh, Oregon's first rushing touchdown and, and, and only rushing touchdown of the game that you know gave him the lead there in the, late in the third quarter. Um but he's not somebody that really has a lot of explosion, I don't think. Right. So maybe we just maybe we just haven't seen it yet. But yeah, I, I agree. I thought Verdell ran really well before the injury. I thought it looked like I mean honestly it looked like he was on pace to have a huge day. Uh, you know, maybe a hundred a hundred plus yard rushing day, and uh, unfortunately the injury slowed him from doing that. We should mention it. the injury looked more significant and it looked like he might be lost for a lot longer than potentially a week or two or, or, or less even, it sounds like. Um you know, you don't he was down. He was writhing in pain. It looked like he might have broken something. You know, you don't want to speculate, but it looks serious. So the fact that it's a short-term injury, we should mention, is is huge. But you're right. I think this is a run game that has been very up and down. I think we saw some positive things when they weren't fumbling the football on Saturday 
against a pretty darn good California front. Um, this Colorado front's not as good, so theoretically Oregon should be able to run it better. But, yeah, no, I think the loss of Verdell is you can't overlook it. And I, I agree that there were some issues in the run game after he went down. Most of Oregon's big runs came in that first quarter um, with Verdell and Dye being the ones doing it. And, and after Verdell went down, yeah, there did seem to be kind of a step back. Um, and so we'll see what happens. We'll see who's available. It was it was also interesting that we didn't see any of Darian Felix in that yeah. game. Um, that's two straight weeks where he's simply not touched the football or even played, I don't think. Um do, do they go to him? Do they, you know, if, if Verdell's out, do they try to expand his role a little bit? What about Sean Dollars? We haven't seen him, I don't think, since he had those long runs um, against Montana. So there's 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 guys out there, but you know, it seems like they are kind of limited themselves to to three players right now. And I, I just wonder if Verdell's out for a week, if they'll expand that, open it up a little bit more to, to one of these other two guys. The other injury news for Oregon came. Late in the fourth quarter, California was, you know, trying to make their comeback or some kind of a comeback and they ultimately they didn't do it, but it came at a cost for Oregon's defense. Gus Cumberlander, senior defensive end, suffered a, a pretty gruesome, what looks like knee injury, um, had to be air casted, had to be put on a cart and carted off the field. Um, you, you really hate to see that because this is like what makes college sports awesome is seeing a guy like Cumberlander show up to Oregon. He redshirted, hardly played as a, as a redshirt freshman, started to maybe get himself on to special teams as a sophomore. As a junior, you know, he starts getting himself onto the football field on defense. And then the second half of his junior year, he explodes. Things click. He's playing really, really well. He was the team's leading sack uh, guy, on, on, you know, coming back from returning players this season as a senior. Yeah. Assumed a starting role, earned it, beat out, you know, DJ Johnson, a sophomore, Kalon Thibodeau, you know, a five-star recruit who at one time was the number one player in the country. Beat him out. And, you know, had a good start to his senior year, you know, fought off two really talented underclassmen and then unfortunately suffers just a brutal injury. And while we don't know the extent of his injury, um, we might after the taping of this podcast, but it's safe to say he's not going to be playing for the foreseeable future. They don't, they don't put air casts on for guys that suffer some kind of an injury and he's back a week later or two weeks later. He's, he's going to be out for a while and that's just awful. And you, you feel for a guy like Cumberlander and, the work he's put in and the time to the program and you hope he can find his way back onto the football field at some point this season. Um, but it's, it's also going to be a blow for Oregon. The Ducks now have to kind of adjust and where do they go from here? What, who steps up? And I think the, the, the two most logical names that, that show up are the guys I've mentioned, Kayvon Thibodeau and, uh, DJ Johnson. I, I think. Thibodeau is probably going to be the one if if you're going to pick one or the other who starts because those are the two primary backups for Cumberlander. I think it falls on Thibodeau to to step up and you know now become the guy as one of the defensive ends. Maybe a Mace Funa. Yeah, Funa is somebody that typically has played standing up, not with his hand down. But I wouldn't be surprised to see him play a little there. And and one one thought on Cumberlander really quick before we move on a little bit. Um, 
he's played five games this year. If he'd only played four, he would have been eligible to redshirt. Um, so that's off, that's off the table. I don't know if you could maybe petition for some sort of injury redshirt if he's done for the season and, and get him back for another year, but let's just hope we haven't seen the last of him. It's an awful, awful way for a player to end his season and, and potentially his college football career, especially like you said, a guy who battled, battled and battled to get to this spot. But I think Kayvon Thibodeau is the logical replacement. Um, it, it makes a lot of sense. Thibodeau, by the way, had his best game of the season on Saturday, two sacks, uh, you know, his first two, uh, Solo sacks or, or, or complete sacks because he'd shared another one um, previously. Uh, so we saw a little step from him. And, and I think, yeah, you would see him play a lot more. And I think it's probably warranted. Obviously, the circumstances aren't what you want. You don't want him to be playing uh, an extended role in part because a player like Cumberlander goes down. But I think he's deserving of an opportunity to play a little bit more and have a little bigger role. I mean, his explosiveness off the edge against Cal was frankly a difference maker. I mean, he came off the blind side twice and just totally clobbered Devon Monster before he had a shot to really go anywhere with the right. football. And I think he's obviously a very talented player. And, and I think starting to show that, that that talent, you know, can come together at this level. So he makes a ton of sense. I think seeing a little more DJ Johnson, who we basically haven't seen since that Nevada game, where he had three tackles for loss and a couple sacks, and you know one of the best individual performances probably from a defensive player all season for Oregon. We haven't hardly seen him at all. I bet you he hasn't played more than twenty snaps in the last three games. You know, I mean he's he's been pretty absent. So maybe we see a little bit more of him. Um, but I think it's going to be mostly. Kayvon, who Gus was kind of battling all fall with for that spot that we're going to see fill in here, you know, and, and <clears throat> I think it'll be interesting to see Kayvon's value in, in run situations, right? Because we know how explosive he is off the edge as a pass rusher. Is he a guy you can play for three downs or are they going to need to rotate a couple bodies, maybe go a little bigger? Maybe you see a couple of other guys uh, playing that spot on, on first or second down, but Certainly you're encouraged by Kayvon's ability off the edge in passing situations just to get to the quarterback and make things really difficult for, for opposing offensive lines. I mean, he was just flying right past yep. uh, California's left tackle over and over again on Saturday. Yeah, they had they had no chance. And if you want to go watch his two sacks, they're pretty impressive. Uh, our intern, Ethan Weiss, he, he got great footage of that, and they're on the top ten plays of the game against California uh, on DuckTerritory.com, um, you can go in and, and, and you can watch those plays and, and, and just see the potential that KT has. And and he's he's played you know he's played in all all five games for Oregon. Um, you know he's starting to get out there a little bit more and more. Uh, but the idea is here is that he's he's still being slowly brought along a little bit. And yet you look at his production, he's Technically, he's second on the team and, and tackles for loss, but it's it's third because there's two guys tied for first with five. Um, but he's got three and a half tackles for loss for just 27 yards. So he he's make he's getting in the backfield, and when he does, he's dropping guys deep in the backfield because he's lost he's forced 27 yards of of, of lost yardage. That's the highest of the on the team. Next closest Mace Funa who has five tackles for loss and 24 yards total. Uh, he's third on the team. Excuse me. He's second on the team in sacks with two and a half. He's just half a sack behind Mace Funa. Um, he's got a quarterback. He's got two quarterback hurries. He's got a forced fumble. Um, I, I, I think KT is, is 
going to get unleashed this weekend against Colorado full time. And we're going to see, like, is he, is he big enough to, you know, withstand the rigors of, you know, a run, you know, run and pass attack for four quarters. DJ's going to, DJ Johnson's going to get thrown in there a little bit to help, you know, cave on. And it wouldn't surprise me though, if we see Funa, you know, maybe bounce between standing up and, and hand in the dirt. He's too good of a player there. Or maybe we, maybe we see a guy like Andrew Folio, you know, a redshirt freshman who's played defensive tackle, defensive end a little bit. You know, maybe, maybe he's a guy that sees his, his playing time increase a little bit. He's a redshirt freshman. Um, the, the staff didn't play Keon Ware Hudson against California. Uh, they did play Brandon Dorless, so maybe Dorless is a guy that that finds his way onto the playing field a little bit more. But I I, I think Dorless is more a defensive tackle than he is a defensive end. Right. Um, uh, but I, there's going to be some guys that are going to see their their playing time increase because of this injury. I, I, we've said it before, KT is the most logical choice. DJ Johnson's the second, but there's going to be a third that's going to see his playing time go up. Yeah, and I think Andre. Uh, sorry. Andrew Falu is a good is a good name to bring up. He does have two sacks so far in the season. I think he had one against Stanford, kind of as the clock was running down. Um, maybe he's a guy who gets his reps increased. Maybe we see his brother play a little bit more over there, and that way they can play Carlberg at one end and Austin at the other, and you go a little bigger in certain circumstances. But yeah, it, it certainly when you lose a player like Cumberlander, who was playing a ton of football, who was starting, who was producing at a pretty high level. Um, we haven't mentioned he was the Pac-12 Defensive Lineman of the Week a couple of weeks ago against Stanford. Um, you're going to need to find some guys to step up, and I think one of the benefits with this Oregon defense is the depth, and you're going to see, I mean, to go from a really good senior in Cumberlander to a number one or top five rated recruit nationally um, in, in Kayvon Thibodeau just speaks to the depth, and, you know, the drop-off from that to DJ Johnson's not far. I mean, you've got, this is fortunately one of the positions where you do have some very talented players available, so... Uh, hate to see a guy like Kim go down, it's, but it is going to be very interesting to see over the next five or six days kind of what Oregon does to, to get themselves ready against Colorado at that position in particular. All right, we're going to take a quick break, uh, listen to our sponsors, and we'll be right back on the Austin Audible's podcast where we're going to go into more depth on this defense and also some return of receivers for Oregon. Uh, you're listening to Austin Audible's podcast with Matt Freeman, Eric Scoble. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, welcome back to the Ots and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem. Eric Scopel is with me. Um, Eric, the touchdown streak against California fell uh, the Ducks went three games without a touchdown, and then in the first quarter, Cal scored the first points of the game, uh, and their only points of the game, uh, with a, with a touchdown. What was that? Couple, couple minutes in, maybe four, five, six minutes into the, into the first quarter. Um, overall though, Oregon comes in and California finishes the football game with 
less than 300 yards of total offense. So 256 is their exact total. 60, just 66 yards on the ground, 190 yards passing. Um, they had 12 first downs. They averaged just four yards per play. Uh, I don't, you know, they had a couple turnovers. They had two, they had two turnovers. You know, one of them led to a touchdown by Oregon. This defense, once again, some streaks were snapped, but once again, you know, you walk out of this game 17-7 and you're feeling like the defense won the football game. Obviously, the, Oregon came back in the second half and scored 17 unanswered points to, to win, but it was, I think, set up by this defense where Time and time again, they were called upon to, to rise up and make some plays, and that's exactly what they did. And I can't help, you know, every week we, we, we talk about this, but every week I'm, I'm amazed. You know, something new happens where this group does something special or, or impressive, and I, I keep walking away, even though Cal's offense has their issues, and we should acknowledge that. This this group still played extremely well, and – you know, you're, you're starting to see, I think, a program take an identity of historically being known as, hey, that's an offense that's got fancy uniforms, great facilities, and a blur offense that's going to score 45 points in, you know, three quarters, and you're not going to be able to just keep up, and that's why they're going to blow you out. To now taking an identity where they play a very physical brand of football on defense, and it is almost next to impossible to score on them. I think we're going to learn a lot against probably these next three opponents in particular, yes. Colorado, Washington, Washington State, just in terms of facing a little higher caliber offenses. I mean, you kind of look at who Oregon's faced so far this year. Auburn was a true freshman quarterback. Nevada was a redshirt freshman quarterback. Montana was an experienced quarterback, but that's still an FCS-level quarterback. Stanford was Costello, but he had hurt his thumb. And then Monster was a, a replacement quarterback. So it's not... It's not like they've played the, the premier offenses yet or the premier quarterbacks, at least. Uh, they face some pretty good running backs and some pretty good talented skill guys mixed into those games. But I think – and that's not, I'm not trying to detract too much. I'm just trying to say I think we're going to learn a lot more in these next three weeks about how how dominant this defense is. Is this a defense that can truly shut down an opposing offense time and time and time again? And I wouldn't be shocked at all if it is. I wouldn't be – you know, I think there's some people out there who – like the point I just brought up with the the lower caliber play at quarterback that Oregon's face goes kind of like, uh, we don't really know enough yet. I think this defense is really good regardless of, of the competition. And I would not be at all shocked to see Colorado, which is a very good offense so far. Steven Montez is an experienced quarterback. They've got some really good skill position guys. I know Chenault's been in and out of the lineup. But I would not be at all surprised to see that Colorado offense come in here. They've been scoring at a high level. One of the more prolific offenses <clears throat> in the Pac-12 uh, they currently are fourth in scoring, average about 36 points per game. I wouldn't be surprised at all to see them come into Austin and, and Oregon, you know, keeps them right around their season average, which is, you know, about 10 to, 10 to 14 points. Keep them kind of right in that range, just because of how good this group is. And um, it's running, it's against the run, it's against the pass. We've we've seen it kind of just they were able to do it all right now, and. and you know, they set the, the tone against California uh, with some stops on third and short early on in that game. They, they, seven three and outs is incredible, but I, I still think the secondary is really where this group strives and is, is at the strength of this team because they're, I think, fourth nationally in, in opposing QB rating. And again, I said the quarterback play hasn't been good, but they've just been all over the place. They forced at least one interception in every single game. They've allowed just three passing touchdowns. 
Um, two came against Auburn. One obviously was in the last second. Uh, two teams all season have had a, have had a completion percentage above 50%. I mean, it's just been, it's hard to throw the ball against this group. And I think we're going to learn a lot more against this Colorado team this week. But I also just think, man, this is a really, really dominant defense and one that I, I think even against some of the better competition offensive, like we're going to see here in the next couple of weeks, because look at it. Washington State leads the conference with 44.8 points per game. Arizona and Oregon State are second and third, and those are obviously a couple months away. Those are down-the-line games, but Colorado is fourth, and Washington is sixth, and Oregon is fifth, we should mention. So they're going to face three of the top six offenses in scoring over the next three weeks, and I think you're going to get a little bit better idea of just how good this defense is over that stretch. Yeah, you 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 made a great point, and it's 100% true that you have to take into some consideration of who Oregon has played to date. And the fact of the matter is they've played five games and three of those five have been against offenses ranked in the 100s and just and total offensive yards per game. Stanford is 105th in, in offense. Uh, they average just 353 yards per game. California is 114th. They average 331. Nevada is 114th, and they average – uh, 331. Um, excuse me, they're both 14th. And then you, you look at the fact that they played Montana. That's a fourth opponent. Auburn is 64th in the country in total offense per game at 423 yards. And yeah, you can argue they're in the, the SEC, but the reality is this. The data says that they're a middle of the road offense. If that, you know, they're 64th in the country. Colorado is going to be the best offense Oregon will have faced to date. Uh, they are currently ranked 41st in the country, just one spot behind Oregon. Um, the Ducks average 447.8 yards per game. They've played five games. Colorado averages 447 yards per game exactly. So from a, a terms of a teams that, that move the ball up and down the field, they haven't played a lot of great teams. No. And, you know, they've played offensively challenged football teams. Now, that being said, you still have to go out and you still have to execute. You still have to play at the highest level because if you, if, if you have a good defense, you do what Oregon has done the last four games and that's just straight up dominate your opponent. And that is what was seen. So they're doing what they should do. And now we're going to, you know, we're going to start seeing a better test of where, where things are at in terms of their opponent and the quality of opponent and the offenses that they're going to face. You know, Colorado has a slightly better scoring offense than, than the Ducks do. You know, they average 34.2 points. Oregon averages 34. Auburn is just behind both of them, you know, at, at 33. Uh, the Buffs are 34th in the country. Oregon is 36th. Auburn is 38th. You go farther down the line, though, from a scoring offensive standpoint, and, you know, you're, you're going to find some really bad football teams that Oregon has played. 115th Nevada, 113th California, 110th Stanford. So yeah, you're right that, you know, they haven't played the greatest offenses yet. And that is a little bit of a cause for concern. I think you do have to look at it as, you know, is, are some of these stats because they're playing the easier part of the schedule first or is part of this, you know, Oregon's defense playing really, really good. And I think that's a, that's certainly a question to ask. Um, Offensively, Oregon did get some receivers back in this football game. In fact, they got everybody back that was kind of up in the air for this football game. Uh, seniors Juwan Johnson and Brendan Schooler both played. Uh, 
true freshman Micah Pittman also played. I, I think Pittman was probably the more, uh, you know, this is me just speculating, but the healthiest of the three because he seemed to be out there much more than the other two. Um, Jawan and, and Schooler acted more like decoy than actual, you know, threats in my mind. Maybe that's just me reading too much into it, but Pittman finished the game with, uh, four catches for Oregon for, for what was it 43 yards? So he finished yeah. second on the team in, uh, receptions and second on the team in receiving yards. Schooler had that one catch for 21 and the first down on a critical third down. He was targeted twice. Uh, and then, um, Juwan Johnson didn't receive a target. So obviously he didn't receive, uh, a, a, re- a reception. Um, overall though, I, I think it was a good opportunity to get these guys into the football game, get their feet wet a little bit. Pittman certainly, you know, lived up to what we were expecting out of him. I mean, I think all four of his catches, he was targeted four times. All four of them were impressive catches. There wasn't a single one where it was a money play that was super easy to make. They were all impressive catches. Yeah, two two of them. His first two were diving catches in traffic that were very challenging catches. In fact, I think – I was getting slightly nervous because I think he injured himself, his shoulder, uh, on a diving catch. I'm going, like, maybe be careful, but I think that speaks to uh, the type of competitor he is and the type of player he is where he's just – he puts – he's kind of reckless in a certain way, but it's it's a good recklessness. It's an aggression and, 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 a, and a confidence in his ability to go make plays that allows him to make plays that, frankly, a lot of players at that position aren't capable or aren't willing to try to make, so – Really impressed with what you saw from him, and I think it's just going to get better. I think you're just going to see um, his skill set come to life more and more as we, as the season goes on. And I wouldn't be surprised if we see an even greater role against Colorado this week, where uh, he's on the field more. I think he probably played roughly 40% of the snaps. I don't think he even played half the snaps this week. Um, I think he's going to play a little bit more as, as the season progresses, and I think you're going to see him be. Uh, more involved in the game. And, and with the other two, the seniors, I mean, at, first off, John Johnson played. I mean, that's, <laughs> we, I don't, we didn't see that one coming really. Uh, you right. know, I kind of started hearing some rumblings the day of the game that that might be a possibility, but with how uncertain things had been, I mean, we talked about it probably last time we talked, did a podcast. It was kind of like, uh, who knows? Like, what, is he going to play this season? Blah, blah, blah. Well, we got our answer. I mean, he played and, and now we've got, you know, seven games in the regular season left, so he is, he's he's going to be playing this season. And, and we didn't see a ton from him, but uh, good to have him back, good to have Brendan Schooler back, even if it wasn't in, uh, you know, huge, uh, impactful plays. I, I guess Schooler's catch was a pretty big play, but uh, didn't get a ton from either guy. I think that's going to change. I think you're going to see this wide receiver rotation start to shift a little bit. Um, a guy like Brian Addison started the game, but probably only played maybe a dozen or so plays. I wouldn't be surprised if that becomes the norm. Uh, I think you're going to start seeing the core be Johnny Johnson, Jalen Red, Micah Pittman, Brendan Schooler, Jawan Johnson as kind of your five main guys. And maybe you do have Brian Addison filling as the sixth guy, but that feels kind of like the group you have. And it's the group you thought you were going to have to start the season. And again, we've kind of yet to see what Schooler and, and John, or Jawan have in store this year. But so far, I, Micah Pittman's a really, really good football player. I think you just have to be encouraged by uh, the potential and, and the upside of this group now that they're basically at 100%. They've got a couple guys that are dinged up, but I don't think Lance Wilhoyt or J.R. Waters were guys anybody was really coming into the season going, oh, that's going to be one of the top two or three guys. They were kind of supplementary parts. So right now they're basically at 100% of where they were expecting to be. 
in terms of just availability. And that's a great thing, especially coming into, like we've said, a portion of the season where maybe the offense is going to have to be a little bit, you know, a little bit more uh, explosive just because they're starting to play some pretty good offenses and that's going to put pressure on your defense. And I don't necessarily know if you can expect to win these games um, scoring 17 or 21 points every week. Real quick, look towards Colorado this weekend. Um, this is a team, like you said, their offense is pretty good. They've been able to to move the ball a little bit. This they secured a really big upset victory uh, just a couple of weeks ago at, at Arizona State. I mean, I think that was a, a real shock. I don't know if everyone was all all in on Colorado coming in and you know winning that football game and and having a chance to you know really take control of the Pac-12 North. But since that game, it's been Tough sledding for Colorado because they had a bye, um, and then this past weekend they lost at home 35 to 30 to Arizona, which is now their second loss of the year. They lost at home earlier against the Air Force 30 to 23. They're three and two in conference play, and things are starting to, to really hit home hard for Colorado because they've got injuries up the yin yang right now it, it seems like just their star offensive player Chenault is out with an injury um katie dixon another receiver he suffered an injury i think against arizona when that happened um their defense has just been decimated uh they've got multiple guys that are starters <laughs> out and you know the, the the biggest one is you know the fact that you know sam neuer was i think a a sophomore quarterback, third string quarterback on the depth chart start fall camp. And he was playing safety against Arizona because they've had Thanks. that many injuries on the defensive side of the football. So Oregon certainly has a couple injuries that they're going to impact them. But seeing as this is a short week, you know, there's they're playing on Friday night instead of Saturday night. And, you know, California, Colorado's having to come here to Eugene you know, this, this is, this could be a game where Oregon could be playing a team that's just absolutely decimated with injuries that, that has a, a, a big time impact on this football game. Yeah, it's going to be, I don't know. I, I, this is an interesting week. I, I think because Oregon's offense didn't really take the steps we expected and because Colorado's offense, even with a guy like Chenault out of the game has shown time and time again, they're able to score points against now two games in a row against Arizona State and Arizona, obviously, they didn't beat the Wildcats, but they scored 30 points in that game. Um, I, I don't know if I feel I, – I think I think it's going to be maybe more competitive. Maybe, maybe I'm just a little down on what we've seen from Oregon offensively, but I, I'm not ready to go like, man, this Colorado game is going to be one where Oregon wins handily. Maybe I'm just sort of a reserve now because I expected, frankly, this California game, which felt similar – Right in terms of Cal's coming in with some injuries at quarterback and the offensive line and maybe on the defensive line, Oregon should win pretty handily and they win by ten points. I think it's you know unless we see some steps offensively, I think we're going to see another fairly close game. I don't know if Oregon's going to be a team this year that I I, I think I wouldn't be shocked at all if it's one of those games where Oregon wins in what I would describe as fairly dominant fashion, just in terms of like the outcomes never fully up in the air, but it's not a game that on the scoreboard looks particularly impressive. You know what I mean? Right. Um, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be shocked if this is another game where maybe it's like Oregon wins uh 24 to 10 
and they are in control of the whole game, and they they there's never really any doubt about who's going to win, but there's also never really a whole lot of separation created, just because that's sort of what we've seen now um, in Pac-12 play, where the defense is able to hold their you know their side down, but the offense isn't quite able to really create separation. So maybe this is the game. I thought it was going to be last week against Cal. Maybe this is the game where we see kind of the the doors you know flood open, and, and all of a sudden this Oregon offense is playing at a high level, and Oregon scores 42 points and, and absolutely you know dominates and wins by four touchdowns. Or maybe it's another game where they they win pretty decisively, uh, but it's a pretty close game. You know, it's a lower scoring game. I don't know, but I do think. Obviously, I, I, still, I think Oregon's going to win this game. I, you know, I picked preseason Oregon to win this game. Nothing I've seen throughout this season leads me to believe the, the opposite will be true just because I think Oregon's trending in a positive direction. Colorado's sort of trending in the opposite. Um, but my expectations are sort of out of whack right now. Um, I, I really was surprised, I think, with a little bit of what we saw against California. Uh, we talked about it in the podcast afterwards. I picked Oregon to win that game 38 to 6 and they only scored 17 points. So, um, maybe that was, Fool's gold on my part in terms of trying to think that Oregon would score that many uh, points against a really good Cal defense, but uh, I, I'm still I'm just a little cautious. I think in terms of expecting a real dominant win. I think you know Colorado is a, a team that's beaten some okay teams this year. Arizona State's a good team. Um, they beat Nebraska, who I know isn't incredible, but that's a that's a decent Power Five team. I think this game's going to be somewhat competitive, and I don't I, you know I know Colorado's banged up, but I'm just I guess I'm just kind of Reserved to uh, to try to expect they're going to win really dominant sure. this week. So Oregon is a twenty and a half point favorite in this football game, and that number seems really really high. I agree. Uh, the Ducks are also they have failed to hit the under or they failed to go over the the the, the, the combined total um, four out of their five games this season. And Vegas is saying that fifty seven points combined are going to be scored in that. So if you're of the betting nature. Oregon is just two and three against the spread. Uh, they are, and the under has hit four out of five times, uh, against Oregon. And they're a 20 and a half point favorite. I'm with you. Seeing this team win by 21 or more points is kind of one of those, you know, I'll see it when I believe it type mentality. I, I still think they could, they could and they should and they will dominate this game from start to finish, but you know, it's just going to be one of those games where, you know, like it's a 10 point game basically throughout the entire game. Um, that's how I, I could see it playing out. Now, Colorado, on the other hand, against the spread, they're three and two on the year and the over has hit four out of five times, uh, this season for the buffs. So interesting betting line there, uh, in terms of things. We'll have a full preview of more, um, Getting you ready for this football game Friday night, not Saturday night. Keep that in mind. I said that a couple times, but it's a Friday Weird. night game. Uh, I, I was not a not for it, but now I've seen the TV slate of games on Saturday, and I'm really excited that uh, I will have all of Saturday to watch college football uh, across the country, uh, and also at the same time have covered an Oregon football game. So lots to get to this week. We'll have someone on to preview uh, Cal, uh, Colorado, Oregon. Uh, Eric and I will also. Uh, take your mailbag questions on Wednesday, so send those in as well. Uh, tweet at us your mailbag questions. I've already gotten a, a couple uh, tweeted at us already. So for Eric Scopel and myself, Matt Prame, thanks for listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Adios, amigos.